This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. It's a special day to look back at Vancouver's Olympic Games in 2010. It was 10 years ago to the day that the opening ceremonies for the Olympic Games were held February 12, 2010, launching the very memorable Olympic Games for Vancouver and Whistler. We're going to be taking a little trip down memory lane throughout the show here as we look back at the Olympic Games uh, 10 years ago today. Let's check in now with George Orr, the veteran broadcast journalist and documentary filmmaker who has made a documentary about the uh, Vancouver Olympics called Chasing the Dream, and I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hiya, George. How are you this morning, Mike? I'm great. Thanks a lot for doing this. Where Where were you 10 years ago today? 10 years ago, 6 o'clock this morning, I was standing on the overpass at the south end of the Lionsgate Bridge uh, shooting with camera, the torch coming over the bridge and into the city. And uh, I stood out there for an hour and a half waiting for the torch. I was frozen. Um, <laughs> a lot of my production work was meant standing around being frozen and bored and stuff, but I ended up... Uh, <laughs> Uh, shooting the torch coming to town, and then I shot the uh, the people outside the dome who thought that they could somehow disrupt the games who failed at that. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a busy day protests. for me. Yeah, busy yeah. day. There were the protests going on. There was a lot of excitement about the opening ceremonies as well. I remember the uh, Wayne Gretzky uh, coming in with the, with the uh, torch as the final relay runner. And I believe it was raining, right? Wasn't it raining that oh, night? Oh, yeah. It was, it was driving rain. It was just miserable. I got yeah. stuck in traffic, and uh, that's when they started tying up the city with security. And uh, so traffic was awful. It was pouring rain. It was hard to see how it could be as much fun as it turned out to be. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think they did a good job in the opening ceremonies. That's what I recall from, from 10 years ago. Uh, Katie Lang, I remember being a, a, a very memorable performance by her. And I think it went off pretty much without a hitch, although there was that little... Um, equipment malfunction at the end right there was and uh i think that was most a most canadian part of it because it didn't quite work but oh well you know we're canadians <laughs> and we're sorry but but you gotta love us and i think uh i think that's what the world got to take away is we're canadians yeah. and you have to love us yeah i remember the cauldron yeah. was supposed to sort of rise up out of the floor and it, there was just a little bit of uh dysfunction <laughs> there with the uh the rise so i remember there was this kind of pregnant pause as we were all waiting for this thing to happen and they finally did get it going a very memorable day george tell me about your documentary i know you've worked a long time on it so for me the story starts just after 9-11 which is what almost 20 years ago now uh, Vancouver businessman Jack Poole is having lunch with his good friend and golfing buddy, Paul Manning, uh, sort of a political fixer. And over lunch, the two of them talk about, wouldn't it be interesting if we, if we brought some sort of enthusiasm and passion and fun to the coast? The world was starting to look kind of dark after 9-11. So over their lunch, they discussed what it would be like if, if we were to have the Olympics. And uh, that wasn't the only genesis of the Games. But for my storytelling purposes, that's where, that's where it starts. Yeah, Jack Poole. I mean, people will, of course, remember him as as a very high profile uh, businessman who was the head of the Vanock bid committee back when the games was just an idea. He sadly, passed away before before the games began. Right? He did, and uh, yeah. Jack was, uh, I would say, media averse. That's probably the nicest way to put it. Uh, he didn't see any value in him talking about the process or him being in front of the process. So he he deferred entirely to uh, John Furlong, whom he hired was also a little bit media-averse. And because I wasn't working for anybody, I'm an independent filmmaker, uh, I could not get accreditation with him. I could not get an interview with him. It took me 
four years before Jack would sit down and, and talk on camera. At the point at which he did, he had pancreatic cancer and was quite ill, uh, but he opened up his heart. And uh, so my story is really about uh, Jack's passion to bring the games to Canada, uh, John Furlong's interest in, uh, in picking up the torch, and uh, Gordon Campbell's political uh, uh, fence mending and games building. So it's really my story is about the people that brought the games. Well, I think that's very cool. What are your, memory, your memories of Jack Poole when you finally did get that interview with him? Uh, we sat down at his office. He had a big smile, and he said, uh, I said, do, do, do you want a list of questions? And he said, oh, no, <laughs> ask me anything. So we talked about growing up on the prairies, uh, a terrible accident that kept him out of athletics, uh, getting into the, the building business, moving to Vancouver, falling in love with the city, and, and ultimately wanting to give back. And when I listened to him talk, I thought, this is off the Chamber of Commerce, but I realized this is actually him. He was, uh, he'd made his fortune, he'd, he'd made his mark, and he did want to do something uh, to make the place a better place. So for him, it was bringing the Olympics. Lovely guy. Yeah, very nice man. Speaking to documentary filmmaker George Orr, 10 years to the day after the opening ceremonies of the 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver, and his documentary is called Chasing the Dream. And like you mentioned, George, focusing on the people who are sort of central to that bid, uh, you mentioned uh, Jack Poole. What about, um, where did uh, Glenn Clark come in there? Wasn't it, it was an NDP government at the time, wasn't it? Didn't Glenn Clark get on board, the NDP premier there? Well, the, the, the political genesis of the games was Ian Waddell, who was in Glenn Clark's cabinet. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ian had uh, had this idea. Uh, politi- he'd heard about the notion, and he sort of carried it forward politically. Uh, and then, the, of course, the, uh, the New Democrats uh, slipped from power, and the Liberals uh, slipped in. So it became Gordon Campbell's games. And uh, he was not shy about uh, touting the benefits of the games. It was going to double tourism was going to create great wealth. It was going to make the world see us for what we are. And you'll remember the slogan, the best place on earth, because that's yes. what we decided we would be called. So the political end of it was very much a, uh, a business and tourism promotion exercise. Yeah, the Campbell government uh, went all in on it for sure, and he, he was a very enthusiastic supporter uh, of the games. You mentioned also John Furlong, who was brought in as the guy to manage the bid and then was kept on as, as the guy who ran the the whole uh, organizing committee as well, right? What are your thoughts on him? Well, Furlong uh, sat down to be interviewed by Poole for the exact position at the games, and at the end of the conversation, they talked for a while in, uh, in Poole's office, at the end of the conversation, Poole looked at Furlong and said, if you don't take this job, I'm not going to go ahead with the games. It stops here unless <laughs> you take the job. Wow. So Furlong took the job, walked out, and tells me on camera, he walked out of Poole's office, stood on the sidewalk and thought, what the hell am I going to do now? Uh, and then from that day forward, he was, he was the face of the games. Uh, it took, like, because I was not somebody they wanted to deal with, they couldn't manage my message. It took a long time for him to trust me enough to sit down. We had three long on-camera conversations, one a couple of years out, uh, one two days before the game started. I spent the day shadowing him with the camera, and then a couple of weeks afterwards. So he opened his heart. Uh, he could have been whatever he chose to be, uh, in the wake of the games because of the good feeling the games engendered. Uh, and it's too bad that he's not. Looking back at the opening ceremonies 10 years ago today, George, uh, another memory that a lot of people will have w- would be the the death of that um, Nodar Kumar Ishtabili, and I'm butchering his name there, who was yeah. killed on a training run in Whistler on the... Uh, the luge run there on the very day of the opening ceremonies. I, I remember that cast 
cast a pall that day, and uh, I'm I'm sure that's something that sort of still kind of haunts people. I think very much. I mean, they designed the speed that the what do you call it, the lose track was designed to yeah. be as fast as could be, and uh, clearly it's like Formula One racing. At some point, you go too fast, and at some point. Uh, so I, you know, the designers of the thing thought, well, let's just make it as fast as we can. And ultimately, this this poor young guy died uh, instantly and very graphically. And uh, yeah, right, it really did cast a pall over the games. It sort of it grounded these people because they were trying to make it all this charming, lovely public relations, aren't we grand exercise. And uh, it sort of brought a horrible smack of the real world to the games. That uh, It really tarnished the games to some degree, but it, it didn't really... Uh, didn't interrupt the games themselves. No, they recovered from it, and I I think largely the leadership of John Furlong there, I recall very vividly how he actually went back to Georgia in the sort of the Balkans region where this young athlete was from, attended his funeral, and was actually a pallbearer at, at the funeral for this young man. He took it, like, Furlong took that really personally, and I remember just being really impressed about how he handled it. Well, I'm like you. I've, I've sort of, you know, kicked, I've chased ambulances and fire trucks long enough. But I'm pretty cynical about everybody's motivation uh, to start. But you have to give people, you know, an opportunity to find their truth. John Furlong, to me, was as good as you get. Uh, he was actually he was actually the Boy Scout that he appeared to be. He actually seemed to genuinely have his heart in this, and he was. Uh, uh, he realized it was an opportunity of a lifetime for him, and he wanted to do the best. So I. Uh, I hold him in really high regard from all this, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just sorry that he sort of disappeared from public view. Because, like I say, he could be—he uh, could have been our next governor general. Ten years ago today, George, it was the opening ceremony for the Olympic Games, and it started that uh, the whole party that went on for uh, the days that followed. Uh, when you look back on it now, I mean, one of the things I think is interesting about your documentary, you sort of do kind of a warts and all kind of picture here of, of this event. You didn't, including the controversy and the protests that yep. uh, that were going on. What were, what were the main complaints back then of the people who were fighting the, against the Olympic Games? We're going to take a lot of public money and we're going to put it into a circus, a, a, yeah. an adventure. Uh, and the thought was, why don't we take a lot of public money and put it into housing? And so Homes Not Games was a chant. Uh, on the streets with uh, a lot of, of mostly young folks of activists in the city. Uh, they rose up, they made their voices known. They, uh, there was a lot of civil disobedience and unrest and ultimately they weren't successful, but, uh, but they were heard. I also spent 40 days in, uh, in West Vancouver. There were folks out there in Canada's richest suburb who didn't want the highway going through a particularly environmentally sensitive area. So uh, they stopped construction for 40 days, and I was there the day the police came in and arrested them all. So there were a lot of different folks who saw the games as, as a distraction from what we really needed to do, and ultimately uh, the games were pulled off. I think, would you say, when you look back on it now, would you say the games were largely successful and a good thing for the city of Vancouver? You know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I think one of the real benefits of the games was the inclusion of First Nations. Uh, Jack Poole has had First Nations heritage. Uh, and he thought that it was crucial that the First Nations in BC be brought into the fold. It wasn't just a wasn't just a show. Uh, it, he thought that they through this through the games that culture and the settler culture could be integrated to a large degree, and uh, that was a great passion of his. And so I think the benefit from that is that we now see First Nations 
art, culture, and history in, in somewhat of a different light and a better light. So to me, that was one of the big benefits of the games. Any other, any other sort of memories that stand out for you as you look back over the whole experience of the Olympic Games 10 years ago? Anything sort of jump out at you as a memory in your mind? Um, <clears throat> they just they wanted it to be seen as an entirely positive event, and I think they would have had more success if they told the truth about stuff. I was at a news conference, you might have been there, when there was a young skier who, uh, who fainted. And uh, rather than admitting that, you know, the scripted story of the day was going to happen, they could have acknowledged the fact that this poor kid was lying on the floor out cold, but they just ignored her because they wanted to control the story all the way through. I think if there was any drawback to the games, it was that notion that the IOC had told them, you run your communications like a, like a steel ship, nothing happens unless you tell it, unless you authorize it to happen. So I think, to me, that was, that was the interesting takeaway, was they wanted it to be a certain way. Uh, ultimately, they, they won, but you know, they could have been a lot more authentic and I think a lot more inclusive. The film is called Chasing the Dream. You've worked a long time on it, George. Where can people see it? Chasing the Dream is on Czech TV tomorrow night uh, at 8 o'clock. Uh, none of the major networks would touch this with a barge pole. Uh, the Olympic uh, CTV were the Olympic host network and they wouldn't touch it because they were concerned it might not be positive. CBC were not and were concerned about copyright and uh, being sued for saying the word Olympics. And so um, ultimately it's just been a theatrical showing up until now, but check TV tomorrow night at eight. George, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Okay, thank you. That is George Orr, the veteran broadcast journalist and documentary filmmaker. And as you heard him say there, his documentary on the 2010 Olympic Games, Chasing the Dreams on tomorrow night on Czech TV.